Hi guys, uh, Pastor Greg Corcoran here from Battlefield Baptist Church. Uh, pray that this sermon is a blessing, an encouragement, and a challenge to you in your walk with the Lord. Additionally, I just wanted to say that if we here at Battlefield can ever be a blessing to you, please don't hesitate to contact us. And the best way to do that is through our website at battlefieldbaptist.org. Again, I pray this sermon blesses you, encourages you, and uh, that you'll fall more in love with God, more in love with His Word, and more in love with people. As we mentioned in the first hour, we want to say thank you. This church and you people have been uh, faithful, faithful partners through the years in praying for us specifically, for our family, praying for the ministry in a more general sense, praying for God's work to be going forward. And we are so very grateful for uh, your prayers, your investment of time and effort, and as well your investment of finances through the years uh, to help us do the work that we do. A generation ago, Dr. Jerry Falwell said that the reason for America, and that's today, that's what all of the flags and the colors are all about, he said, the reason for America is its friendship with Israel and the missionaries it sends with the gospel of Christ. And thank God for you being a missionary sending church. And we're going to show a video now that looks back uh, a little bit over the shoulder and looks at what God has done in the past, and then quickly it turns to see uh, the vision, the calling, the direction that God's laid on our hearts. I hope this will be a blessing to your heart. Since 1986, my wife Jill and I have been focused on following the Lord's guidance through open doors of service. God has allowed us to develop a long-term vision for Asian ministry that is accomplished through effective cross-cultural ministry development, through effective training for North Americans overseas, and through effective church planting in South Korea. The basic question is, how do we reach more people from more places with the gospel of Christ? 4.8 billion people currently live in the 50 nations that make up the great continent of Asia. That's two-thirds of the world's population. On the northeast edge of this vast continent of unreached peoples is a foothold of strong Christianity. South Korea sends more cross-cultural missionaries than any other nation save the United States. I have taught future Korean missionaries for more than 25 years through the Bible College and Seminary and now through the Bible Institute on Jeju Island. Since Asia is in the greatest need of missionaries, Jill and I have worked to develop avenues for North Americans to be exposed to cross-cultural ministry opportunities in both Korea and other nations as well. Two dozen interns have joined us for training, education, and ministry. Many of these have now become career missionaries and full-time laborers. Most recently, Johan and Haruko Stridham have been approved as church planters in Japan. Additionally, seeing the great opportunities available for North Americans to be exposed to firsthand missionary training, I serve with the Bible Institute on Jeju as an avenue for English-speaking students to earn Bible college credit through study alongside students from across Asia. 
Five years ago, we relocated from the mainland of Korea to Jeju Island, home to one million people. Jeju is a semi-independent province, which means people from most nations can visit without special permissions or a visa. As a result, thousands of people from various nations, especially Asians, come to Jeju for work and education. So we started Nations Baptist Church and have had people from two dozen different nations attend. Our purpose is to start churches that will specifically reach out to thousands of internationals living and working on Jeju. People from places like Bangladesh, Nepal, Vietnam, places most of us will never go. But as we are able to build bridges for the gospel to reach these people for Christ, train them up, then prepare them as they return to their homeland to reach their own people for Christ, we are able to fulfill the command to make disciples of all nations. There are three specific ways you can pray for us. And that's the first, specifically pray for Nations Baptists to be established well in order to reach more people from more places with the gospel of Christ. Currently in our first location on the island, we already have two additional locations we are praying over. The first is in New Jeju City, where two universities that have international programs are located. We've done a weekly small group Bible study as well as on-campus interaction with international students. Sam and Megan Beard, along with two single interns, Chris and Sophie, have moved into New Jeju City to build deeper ties in the community and prepare to open Nations House, a university student center, becoming the second location for Nations Baptist. That's the second way you can pray for us. Specifically pray for Nations Baptist to be established in New Jeju City in order to reach more people from more places with the gospel of Christ. The third location is on the other side of the island, an hour's drive from New Jeju City in Sugwipo City. We have contacts with workers from this city, and we are asking God to open doors and build bridges to people in need of the gospel in Sugwipo. That's the third way you can pray for us. Specifically pray for Nations Baptists to make contacts and build eternal relationships in Sugwipo City in order to reach more people from more places with the gospel of Christ. You are a vital part of the work of Christ on Jeju Island. You will likely never visit, but you do visit the throne room of God on a regular basis. When you go before the Father, it's not important to remember Jill and me or Sam and Megan, nor is it important that you remember New Jeju City or Sugwipo. What is important is that you specifically pray for the name of Jesus Christ to be lifted up and the gospel to go forth with power among the people of the nations, specifically those that we are rubbing elbows with on Jeju Island. Thank you so much for all the love you continually show to us. This morning, if you'd turn with me in your Bibles to 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, Paul's letter to the church at Thessalonica is where we will be looking in just a moment. Now, before we read the scripture, I'd like to remind you of a story, a narrative found in the Old Testament in the book of uh, 2 Kings. And we find that God's people, the northern kingdom of Israel, they've been rebelling against God. They've lived in idolatry for generations. And as we look at 2 Kings chapter 7, we find the capital city of Israel, which was Samaria, 
the capital city of Samaria, is surrounded. The enemy, the army of the enemy has cut them off from any outside uh, sources. The people in the city cannot leave. The people outside the city cannot come in. And literally the people are starving to death. And the focus of God's word goes in close to four men. And these four men are outcasts. These four men are outsiders. These four men are disgusting to the majority of the society and the people. These four men are lepers. And they provide in some small fashion for themselves and possibly even for family members, they provide by begging. And they would sit in the city gate or as close to the city gate as they could be And as people would pass in and out of the city, they would beg. They would beg from the merchants. They would beg from the farmers bringing their crops into the city. But all of that had stopped because the enemy had surrounded the city. And the people of the city were starving to death. These four men are starving. And even if there was a supply, even if there was some food, some available bounty, they would be the very last to receive it. One of them looks up. He says, I have an idea. Let's go out to the camp of the enemy. Let's go out and perhaps our enemy will take mercy on us. Now, the worst they could do would be to kill them, but that would be a mercy. And so finally, he convinces the others to go and to follow him. And so just as the sun is setting, they begin to make their way out toward the enemy camp. Now, I want you just to imagine the fear that was in their heart as they took each step getting closer to the enemy. The wonder, would someone have mercy? Would someone give them something to eat? But they certainly had the knowledge, this is going to end. One way or the other. And in my imagination, they kind of crawl on their bellies to the top of a hill overlooking where the enemy camp was set. And it's just starting to get dark. It's the time of the evening meal. The campfires are burning. The tents are all in place. The animals are all tethered. But there's not the sound of a human voice. There doesn't seem to be anyone in the camp of the enemy. And so they gather up their courage and they begin to make their way into the camp. And you know the story how that as they go, they begin to find the food that's been prepared. It's ready. It's being prepared for them. And they begin to just stuff themselves and to fill themselves. And as they finally begin to quench their hunger, they begin to look around. There's no one around. And they peer into one tent and then another and they begin to find the spoils of war. And they go and they start to collect coins. They start to collect garments. They start to collect other items of value. And it says that they begin to hide them. I'm not sure who they're hiding them from, 
But it says, though, in my mind, all four of them are, have their own hiding spot, and they're collecting as much as they can, and they're hiding it. We don't know how long this goes on, but it goes on for a while. And finally, one of them says, we do not well. This isn't right. We're, we're hoarding all of these blessings, all of this supply. And yes, we have great need, but we're keeping it to ourselves. And he said, we have to go back. This doesn't belong to us. It doesn't belong to our families. It belongs to the king. It belongs to the nation. If the king falls, if the city of Samaria falls, the nation falls. And so they began to make their way back to the city and report on what they had found. And in so many ways, that's a picture of us. We're helpless, we're in great need, we're outcast. As a matter of fact, the Apostle Paul, in writing to Titus, in writing to Titus, he said in chapter 3, verse 3, he said, For we ourselves also were sometimes foolish. Now this is Paul saying to a preacher that he's trained, We were foolish, we were disobedient, we were deceived, serving divers' lusts and pleasures, living in malice and envy, hateful, hating one another. That's the description of who we are without Jesus Christ. We don't have any inherent value as Americans. We have no inherent value as human beings. We're wicked, we're ungodly, we're sinful. But he says, but after that, in verse 4, the kindness and love of God our Savior toward man appeared, not by works of righteousness which we have done, but according to his mercy he saved us. Anything we have in God is his gift. It's his mercy. And we're just like these four lepers. They did not deserve the value and the riches that they had found. They were to be the instruments of deliverance. We've received the gospel. We've received the message of Christ. We've received God's word in our lives. And I don't know your story. But I'm awestruck as the older I get... I'm awestruck. I was born into a Christian home. From the earliest days of my life, my parents prayed with me. As soon as I was able to hear and understand anything, they read scripture to me. They taught me scripture. I was in church more than I was anywhere else. And come to Christ as a young child. My wife, as a teenager, came to Christ because of an older sister who cared enough to invite her to youth group. We don't deserve that. And yet every one of us have some story of how we came to Christ, of how others gave us the gospel, of how others invested. And now it's our responsibility and we come to 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. He says, Yourselves, brethren, know our entrance in unto you. It was not in vain. 
talking to them about that first presentation of the gospel. He says, even after that we had suffered before and were shamefully entreated, as you know, at Philippi, we were bold in our God to speak unto you the gospel of God with much contention. For our exhortation was not of deceit, nor of uncleanness, nor in guile, but as we were allowed of God to be put in trust with the gospel, even so we speak, not as pleasing men, but God, which trieth our hearts. Paul tells us here that we have a great responsibility. He's basically saying to us, we have a stewardship with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Just like the lepers, we do not deserve what we have received. But we've been given the message of Christ. We've been given the word of God. We've been given the opportunity to take the gospel. And Paul is saying here, he said, I was approved of God to be entrusted with the gospel. He's saying, I was examined. I was tested. That's the idea behind these words in verse 4. He said, God examined me and found me to be a worthy servant, able to carry the gospel. And he's talking about his own responsibility, his own ministry. But in turn, he's also talking about our responsibility, our stewardship with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Just as the apostles of Christ, we've been entrusted with this message of salvation. It's not ours to hoard. It's not ours to keep. It's not ours to hold tight. And I don't know you well enough to know what your circles of influence are. But every one of us in the room this morning, we have a circle of influence. You have a circle of people that you are in contact with and you see on a regular basis and they look to you, they hear what you have to say. They may be other students in a classroom. They might be family members. They might be neighbors in your neighborhood. I don't know exactly what your circle encompasses, but you, within your circle, you have a stewardship for the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's just like these four lepers. So often, we do not well. We hold it tight. We keep it close. We read it in our homes. We emphasize it with our children. But do we ever go to the neighbor and say, would you have a cup of tea with me? I'd like to get to know you. I'd love to be your friend. Oh, but you don't know them. They're one of those. And I don't know what your definition is, one of those, but you have one. Right now, every one of you thought of something. We are recipients of the Great Commission. We are recipients of the responsibility with the gospel of Jesus Christ to carry it to the farthest regions of the world. And we live in a world that's blind, darkened by Satan, under his control. And the only remedy for that blindness is the Lord Jesus Christ, is the message of the gospel I don't know 
what your circle of influence is. I also don't know what your background is, what your abilities are. Some of you work with your hands. Some of you work with your voice, with your ideas. Others of you are in some kind of service uh, job or ministry. I don't know you well enough to know. But I do know that God's given you skills and abilities that he wants you to use as a bridge to others. If you're a welder, then spend time with other welders. Be their friend. He said, you don't know those guys. Yeah, it doesn't matter. Build the bridges. We have this responsibility. Several years ago now, I had the opportunity to teach at a Bible college up in Boston. And while there, a dear pastor friend of mine came to me and he says, Mike, I want you to meet this guy. His name is Brian. He said, Brian is Korean. Well, come to find out, not only was Brian Korean, Brian had been born in North Korea just before the outbreak of the Korean War. And just as the war broke out, he was about a month to five, six weeks old. His grandmother took him for safety and hid him and then got him out into South Korea. And then his story was that as a teenager, he was a talented musician. He went to university and through his talent as a musician, he was able to come to the United States, eventually becoming a U.S. citizen. Brian lived in New Hampshire running a business, working for the U.S. Post Office and owning a business, unsaved. Nearly the age of 40, a pastor witnessed to him and gave him a gospel track. He took that track and he set it on his bedroom dresser. Didn't look at it again. Didn't move it, but didn't look at it again for years. And then after a period of a couple years, he finally picked it up, read it, and gave his heart to Jesus Christ. Now, Brian, in his 40s, is studying to be a pastor or a missionary at the college in Boston. And this pastor friend says, you've got to meet Brian. He's from Korea, but he's lived in the States, and you just got to meet him. So I, I sat down with Brian, and I said, Brian... What's on your heart? What is it that you think God's calling you to do? And he said, I want to be a missionary. I think God's calling my wife, Brenda, and I to be missionaries. I said, Brian, where? Oh, I think it'll be Africa. Africa, I think, is the place for missionaries. I looked at him and I said, Brian, you're Korean. You were born in North Korea. You speak the Korean language. You at least have to pray about North Korea. He's, oh, no, 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 it's Africa. But it wasn't long before God led and God called Brian and Brenda to North Korea. You have a circle of influence. You have an opportunity and you've been given a stewardship with the gospel of Jesus Christ. But there's not only a stewardship, there's also a cost. It's, it's a matter of great striving. 
Paul says to the Thessalonians, he says, you know our entrance was not in vain, but verse 2, even after that we had suffered before and were shamefully entreated, as you know, at Philippi, we were bold in our God to speak unto you the gospel of God with much contention. You remember the story. It's in Acts 16. Paul and Silas enter into Philippi. They meet Lydia, a Jewish woman. She comes to Christ. They begin to stay in Lydia's home and leading her family to Christ. But as Paul is traveling back and forth into the marketplace, there's a demon-possessed girl following him and calling him out. The demon is soon cast out, but this demon-possessed girl is no longer of any value to her owner. And so the owner who's lost his way, form of income, takes Paul and Silas before the court, before the city council, and they're publicly stripped and beaten. That's exactly what Paul's talking about here. He said, we were shamefully entreated. Do you know what that means? That means their God-given rights were taken away from them. That means their rights as a citizen were stripped from them. And we as Americans, we get so caught up with, this is my right. My friend, sometimes we need to lay some rights down for the sake of the gospel of Christ. Paul, who had every right to speak up and say, I am a Roman citizen, it would have stopped. But he knew in his heart, God was telling him, let it be. He took the beating, he took the humiliation of being publicly stripped naked. He allowed his hands and feet to be put into bonds, to be put into the prison. And as he was enduring the pain, unable to sleep, he was praising God. And God reached down and just shook the building a little bit. The jailer comes to Christ, his household comes to Christ. After that, Paul then goes to Thessalonica. Now, I don't know about you, but I've thought about this many times. I'm not sure that if I was in that situation, I wouldn't change my game plan. That I I wouldn't choose a different way to get into the city. I, I don't know that I would be quite as public. But what was Paul and Silas's attitude? Yes, we suffered. Yes, our rights were stripped away from us. Yes, we were humiliated. But then he says, we were bold in our God to speak unto you the gospel of God. Yes, even with much contention. I don't know what price God's going to ask you to pay to take the gospel within your circle, whatever that might be. I promise you there will be a price. You'll lose some friends. You'll lose some relationships. But we're called, even at the cost of difficulty and hardship, to be bold in our God with the gospel message. So it's a matter of stewardship. It's a matter of striving. But it's also a matter of sincerity. In verse 4, Paul says, We were allowed of God... And even so we speak not as pleasing men, but God, which trieth our hearts. 
in verse 5 and again in verse 10, he says it's God that's examining, it's God that's looking, it's God that's watching every part of our lives and, and our gospel presentation. It's God who will say, you do well or you don't. He knows and judges our heart and our motives. He expects our heart to be free from pride and personal ambition. He expects our hearts to be free from deceit and all uncleanness. He expects us to be pure, holy vessels, sanctified for His use. In the video, you saw a picture of my friend Johan and his wife, Haruko. We first met Johan four and a half years ago, a 39-year-old single man from South Africa. He had just rededicated his life to Christ, and as a part of that rededication, he came to the Bible Institute and studied for a year with us. He stayed on as an intern, completed a master's degree. He already had a university degree from South Africa. Completed a master's degree, worked as an intern, and from the very first prayer meeting for Nations Baptist Church, he was a part. Now, remember in those early days, one of the uh, steps we took was we had a conversation, a planning session with three or four people that were directly hands-on involved in the start of Nations Baptist. And we talked for several hours about what ways, what methods, what avenues do we see to reach people for Christ and Johan, as a young Christian, growing in his faith, he, he finished that meeting. He said to me, missionary, it, it's going to take a miracle. And I've held that over his head for four years. Yes, it's going to take a miracle. It's going to take God. Now, Johan was a very lonely guy. 39, 40 years old, studying with 18, 19, 20-year-olds. He walked in purity. I watched him, a man of integrity, a man of commitment to prayer, love the Lord, study God's word. During COVID, something happened that I didn't even realize was happening. Johan was online with a young lady, also in her 40s, from Japan. And this dear lady had come to visit the Bible Institute. She was a godly woman, very vivacious, very outgoing. And they got connected online just as friends, both of them desperately wanting with all of their heart to be married to serve the Lord. And over that year, year and a half, God brought those two together and allowed them to come together in marriage. Almost two years ago, we ordained Johann a year ago, they were approved as a married couple as church planters in Japan, one of the most needy nations in the world. But God was watching their hearts. God was watching their lives. You may not see the next step. You may not see the opportunity for the neighbor, for the family member, for the coworker. You may not see it, but God knows exactly what it is. 
you keep that in prayer before God and you lift it up before God and you beg for God to do a work and to build the bridges and build the avenues. We've been entrusted with the gospel of Christ. We carry a great responsibility. We preach the truth of Jesus Christ, not to please anyone else, but God alone. God knows our hearts. He knows our motives. He knows our reasons that we serve. And all too often, we're like the lepers, and we do not well. Would you bow your heads with me this morning? Friend, I, I don't know you, very few of you that I know your names. And so as I ask you these questions, as I interact with you, I'm not trying to pry into your life, and I'm certainly not going to do anything that would embarrass you. But perhaps you're here this morning, heads bowed, eyes closed, and you'd say, missionary, I know God's speaking to me today. I know that there's an area of my life or there's a person in my life or there's this uh, part of my life that God is, is poking me and speaking to me and challenging me about. And I'm not trying to guess what that is, but you just say, yes, God's dealing with me today. Pray for me. And you just slide your hand up for a moment. Thank you, thank you, thank you. It's not about me seeing it. It's about you showing it to God and saying, yes, God, I know you're speaking to me. Is there another? God's talking to me today. Yes, God bless you. Thank you. Perhaps you're here without Jesus Christ. This morning I didn't really present the gospel other than simply saying all of us are in need of the gospel. But perhaps you're here and you say, missionary, I don't know Jesus as my Lord and Savior. I don't know if, if my life was to be snuffed out today. I don't know where I'd spend eternity. Pray for me. Is there one like that? I'll not embarrass you. I'll not come to you, but I'd like to pray for you. Is there one? Just slide your hand up. Put it back down. Father, you know our lives. You know our hearts. You know our needs. Lord, when we're very honest, we feel just like those four lepers. We, we, it feels like we have nothing to bring to the table. And yet, God, you love us so much and you care so much about every detail of our lives. And you've given us so much in Jesus Christ. We praise you for that. We thank you for that. For many that lifted their hands across the room, Lord, you know exactly what their need is, you know exactly what it is you're asking of them, from them, or for them. God, we pray that today they would take the first step of obedience and drawing closer to you, of seeking your face, of making the decision that you're asking of them. And Lord, we give you the honor and glory for it all. In Christ's name.